National Catholic Register. This is Register Radio, bringing light and clarity to the news and topics that affect your life. As pilgrims make their way to Rome to celebrate the Advent season and look ahead toward the magnificent Christmas season at the Vatican and St. Peter's Square and, of course, St. Peter's Basilica, news continues, as always, to be made in Italy, in Rome, and, of course, at the Vatican. This week on Register Radio, we catch up with the Register correspondent, Edward Penton, about all the news happening in Rome. I'm Matthew Bunsen, co-host of Register Radio, filling in for Jeanette DeMello this week. And as all of us know, uh, the Christmas season is a very busy one for the Holy Father. Pope Francis has uh, issues of mobility, and of course there have always been questions about uh, his health. This year he seems determined to carry on with the Christmas season. That does not also mean that uh, there are stories to be followed and reported on from Rome and the Holy See. This week, I'm joined by Edward Penton, who's going to sort of help us unpack many of the stories that are taking place in Rome, as well as what's happening in the Synod on Synodality and in Germany, which is, of course, also an issue of great concern to Catholics everywhere from the Holy See all the way to the United States. Edward, welcome. Thank you, Matthew. Good to be with you. It's always a, a rare opportunity to be able to spend some time with you to unpack so many of the stories that uh, seem to be constantly percolating these days uh, from the Holy See and, and, of course, in Italy. What uh, do you see as the mood right now as we head through Advent and then into the Christmas season? Uh, well, it's been a fairly, um, not I wouldn't say traumatic, but it's been a, certainly a, an eventful uh, <laughs> last few months. Uh, there's been a lot happening here. We've had of course, the the latest from the synodal way, um, sorry, the synod on synodality, uh, that's that's continuing. Um, there's been uh, con- continued problems with the with the German Church, of course, and the synod synodal way, and um, and various other uh, problems, scandals as well. Unfortunately, um, not a lot of good news, I suppose, but uh, but it is rounding off this. This year, very much as it began, and is rather characteristic of it, which has been rather a lot of upheaval. Yeah, well, let's start with uh, one issue, and that is uh, Pope Francis's uh, health. He has been making some remarkable international travels. We just saw him in Bahrain. Uh, there are mobility issues that are likely to impact him at Christmas. But overall, what's your assessment of how he's doing? Well, I think he he was pretty poorly over the summer, and that's why he cancelled his trip to South Sudan and, and the Democratic Republic of Congo, which he's now actually going to to, to go on uh, in January, February. Uh, that was cancelled in, in July. I think he was suffering quite a lot from his knee, but also I think from other complications related to it. According to those I've spoken to um, who, who seem to be close to the, the Santa Marta and, the, and those who are taking care of him, he has been taking regular trips to the Jameli Hospital uh, for checkups and operations and so forth, not not big operations, but uh, but sort of examinations of his knee and so forth. Um, but I understand that he is responding well to treatment, or at least he has been recently, and so he's got somewhat better. And uh, that's why, as I say, he can go on this trip um, at the end of January, February. Uh, his doctors actually, I think, as far as I've heard, were recommending that he didn't travel. Um, earlier this year that he, he shouldn't have gone to Kazakhstan and Bahrain, but he did anyway. Um, I think it's on record there's a Spanish doctor who's looking at his knee and says, the Pope's very ki- kind, but he is very stubborn. And uh, 
I think <laughs> I think he's quite keen to continue as much as possible um, the work that he has to do, uh, despite the opera's pain and difficulty that he's in. Well, and Francis himself jokes about being stubborn, doesn't he? Well, he does. Yes, yes, that's true. <laughs> Which yes. I think is one of the reasons why he he's displaying such remarkable fortitude in uh, in these various ailments that he's had. One of the the headaches that he has had, and that's one that has just a, a continued to be an apparent problem is to the north in Germany with the the German synodal way. What's Mm. the latest there? And I'd love to talk to you a bit more about the the recent Ad Limina visit of the German bishops. Yes, I mean, the Ad Limina visit, um, it depends who you speak to. I mean, I think the Vatican uh, were preparing for the worst. I think when you saw the speeches that were given to the German bishops by um, Cardinal Ladaria, head of the Doctrine of the Faith and Cardinal Willette, the head of the uh, bishops' dicastery, um, they give they gave them really quite a uh, uh, not a dressing down so much as a as a warning really to to not to be careful about the the path that they're going on. Um, there was a recommendation that they temporarily halt their synodal path, um, which was which was rejected by the bishops, um, and it was very much I think. Uh, unlike previous ad limina visits in that rather than the vatican really telling them what to do and and being quite strong and forceful it seemed to be again that sort of synodal approach of of listening to the german bishops and not really commanding them or instructing them in any particular way um so they came away um having had as as bishop betzing the president said a, a, a hard time they were given a hard time but they didn't um, didn't make them change course. And in fact, on the return from their ad limina visit, they implemented um, a change in the labor law in the in the church in Germany, which allows now anyone who's um, in an irregular union, in a same-sex union, or is divorced and remarried, as long as they keep that private, they can continue and there's no threat to dismissal as there was in the past. Um, and so they very much continued along the same path. I d- there's no signs that they're changing, um, so you wonder really how how effective, if any, effectiveness was there regarding the ad limina visit. So um, well, the phrase that's, that, that's uh, the general situation. Yeah, the, the phrase that Bishop Georg Beitzing, the, the, the president of the, the German bishops' conference, this idea of saying that we want to be Catholic or we are Catholic, but just Catholic in a different way. Right. Right. Yes, and this is this is the way they they're looking at it. They. They cannot see, or at least they say they cannot see, how they're they're really dissenting from the church. They think that they're they're pushing forward in a in a progressive way, of course, um, but they're not um, abiding by the, the universal teachings of the church, and and so uh, on these issues. And it's it's really remarkable how how far they seem to be going along this path. Um, despite all the warnings of possible schism and the fact that, you know, that could well be the, the consequence of all of this. Now, hovering out there is the synod on synodality that I want to get to in a minute, but it does strike me that as the German bishops are in this uh, synodal way in Germany is, is moving into the new year, they're, they're planning on finishing their work. Is that correct? Yes, that's right. I think it is up to to be finished next year. It's been It's been extended, of course, because of COVID. So it was supposed to end earlier this year um so it's it's carrying on more 
Um, and in fact, some are saying that they want to hurry it up because I think they're concerned that the longer this goes on, the more chances are that uh, the Vatican might well step in and and read them the riot act, if you like, and get them to stop. Um, but they, so they're, they're keen, I think, that this does get wrapped up as soon as possible. And then I think there's also speculation that their synod, um, among some uh, figures also in the Vatican, uh, in this pontificate, want to use what comes out of the German synod with it, with, or rather implemented into the synod on synodality. And I think some see it as very much a sort of dress rehearsal for that, and that it will have an effect on the, the Synod for the Universal Church. Yeah, and uh, toward that, as we're looking at uh, what they're planning and what they're doing, you have a, a great piece uh, that looks at uh, the German bishops-backed website uh, that, uh, as you write, uh, it is a challenge to find an article on katholisch.da, this is the German site, that isn't seemingly desperately pushing the narrative that the church must change in some heterodox, heterodox way, especially regarding sexual immorality. Your, your survey yes. of this was, um, under different circumstances, it might be funny, but this is uh, not in any way funny, is it? No, I mean, it is, it's, I mean, it is, it's almost like a parody, that they're parodying themselves, because... Uh, the extent of these articles, I mean, it's it's really quite remarkable. If you, when you look at them, it's almost one after another. Is is it, it, it could almost be something from from the Onion or or, or something, you know, a, a, a satirical website. They, they, you know, they have a, a theologian who blames the, the Christian doctrine of original sin for many ecclesiastical aberrations. Um, you have a, a a German singer who who finds uh, it creepy that Jesus is hanging on the cross everywhere in a church. Um, and then you have commentaries from some of the editors. Um, one who says that the, the catechism is is no reason to celebrate the 30th anniversary of the catechism this year, um, but because it can be rather a nuisance. And she said it needs to be either thoroughly revised or, or take it out of the church display right away. Um, and then you have, um, as I was saying, Earlier, you have the editor of this website saying that the church must ignore the Vatican's warnings and implement as many of the synodal paths as quickly as possible. He says that uh, the patience of those who want reform is not infinite, and they want this hurried up as as quickly as possible. So um, it really is quite uh, quite remarkable, really, how this and it, it's, it's, it gives a real window on on what. Uh, they're really thinking and, and doing in the German church. This website is is semi-official. I mean, it, it's really quite closely run by the uh, Bishops' Conference. Um, it certainly is, cooperates with the, with the 27 German dioceses and other church institutions in Germany. Um, so it, it does give you a good idea of what they're thinking and just really how far away they are from from the Universal Church and the Magisterium. Yeah, I want to look at that uh, in-house commentary uh, by Gabriel Hüffling uh, regarding the Catechism's anniversary. This idea of it being a nuisance to read and that uh, divorce, uh, as she writes, uh, interprets remarriage after divorce as continued adultery and then adds that disparaging passages about homosexuals are also hard to bear. I mean, th these are mm. rather striking comments from an official document or in, a, in an official website of the Catholic Church in Germany. Right. I mean, it's not surprising in a way. We've heard this many times. That yes. This is particularly the case in Germany. But the fact that, um, you know, they're, they're willing to just put it out there 
um, one article after another which which disparages the, the, the established teachings of the church um, I think it, it's quite it's very bold let's put it that way <laughs> yes. so Bishop Batesing has become something of a lightning rod uh, in the last couple of years uh, with his very determined statements about what has to come down the road. I keep coming back to the question, though, that uh, Pope Francis always has allowed a certain amount of conversation. We saw that at the Amazonian Synod. He seems mm. to be allowing this, but he also is very clear, as he mentioned just last week, that uh, well, there is the magisterium to say no. At this point, what would be the response of this German synodal path if the Holy Father actually says no? That's a good question, Matthew. I mean, I think this is what the Vatican's afraid of, that if if they do say no at this stage, um, it could lead to a, a schism that they'll just uh, double down and break off. Um, but that, um, that obviously hasn't happened yet. I think there is a big danger, though, that, the, that by prolonging this, that the, the longer they prolong it, the harder it gets. And um, comparisons have been made here between Pope Leo X and Martin Luther and the fact that the people warned Pope Leo that they should, he should do something about Martin Luther and many people think that he left it too late um, and that this is simply being repeated again with the German church and the papacy. But um, I, think, I think it is going to be difficult for the Vatican now to really turn the screws on them and, uh, and as I say, I think the longer that goes on, the, the harder it gets. Now you have a piece, and here we are talking about the German Synod leading up to the Synod on Synodality that's now in the continental phase. But you ask a really important question in a piece recently in the Register, and that is, who is managing the Synod? I guess a starting thing is, why is it important to ask that very question? Sure. Well, I think, as with all of these kind of events, um, those who run, who run it uh, really have a big say in how it turns out and the conclusions that it reaches. Um, as much as they say that they're wanting to listen to those who are, you know, the faithful who are contributing to this, um, I think it, it's, it's clear from past synods and certainly um, the synod on the family that, that those who run it do really call the shots. And I think what I found with this uh, document for the continental stage, which was published at the end of October, uh, which really is the working document um, for the next stage, but it, it reflects on what they heard from from lay faithful clergy and religious um, up until that in the in the national phase. Uh, that uh, it it really does show uh, when you look at those who put this document together that, that they all come from the same sort of background. They're all singing from the same hymn sheet. They're all wanting certain uh, progressive changes. They're they're wanting to really um, open the door, it seems, or at least they're, op they're welcoming uh, these ideas, even if they don't say they are, they're just listening to them and, and putting them in the document. But there's nobody on this team of 26 experts who, who put this document together, who I think has, um, is renowned as, as being uh, traditional or, or orthodox, or with a, with a deep knowledge of church history. I mean, some do, but I don't think they have that that deep sense of tradition and church history, um, uh, that, that they all come from a very much, as I say, a certain progressive wing of the church. And, um, and I think when you look at it, it's also a strong influence of the Jesuits too, 
among these experts. Uh, they either were closely associated or are closely associated with them or are Jesuits themselves. Um, and I think that too gives a certain angle to this, to this document. Um, so all I did with this article was just pinpoint who these people are um, and, and look at their backgrounds. And I think you will just see from those backgrounds that they all have this in common. Well, you're listening to Register Radio here on EWTN Radio. I'm Matthew Bunsen filling in for Jeanette DeMello this week, talking with Edward Penton from the National Catholic Register about uh, the, the big stories right now coming out of Rome. And Edward, uh, we had just this last week a, a meeting of the Council of Cardinals, uh, some of the key advisors for Pope Francis. Among its members are Cardinal Reinhard Marx, who's one of the architects of the very synodal path, the very controversial synodal path that you and I have been talking about. But another <laughs> member uh, of that council is uh, Cardinal Oscar Rodriguez Maradiaga, who himself is uh, under not just investigation, but under a great cloud of scandal. Yes, he is, um, and not for the first time. Uh, he's actually uh, being investigated by the Vatican and has been since uh, last year, since last May uh, of 2021, um, for uh, allegedly, well, I think we have, well, I have, I prove because I put documents up in the, in the article that they basically transferred ownership of the Catholic University of Honduras to a foundation that they set up, uh, this Card- Cardinal Maradiaga and uh, the rector of the university, <clears throat> allegedly, so that they can can continue to draw income from this university. It's it's um, quite a cash cow. It's it's done very well in recent years, um, and I think they they've used the money. I mean, Cardinal Maradiaga claims that he's used the money to to help seminarians and construct churches and repair churches, uh, but it's a lot of money that's been taken from this university. And now that Cardinal Maradiaga is um, about to step down as he turns 80 at the end of the month. Um, there's talk that this uh, university has been taken out of the hands of the church and made into this uh, independent foundation simply so that this income can continue and be put into the hands of uh, the rector and Cardinal uh, Maradiaga once uh, their tenure is over. So um, this is the allegation. This is what the investigation has been about uh, it's actually stalled. It's it's um, they haven't um, uh, heard from the uh, the cardinal or the rector or been able to contact them in recent weeks, um, and so it's rather been put on hold. But this is the the background to this, and and it's particularly interesting because Cardinal Maradiaga is a close aide of Pope Francis. He is um, part of the Council of Cardinals. This close. Uh, close advisors to the Pope on church reform and the running of the church. There are six of them, I think, at the moment. Um, and he's the coordinator of that group. Uh, so given this background and given these these uh, scandals that he's uh, unfortunately been attached to, um, some alleged, some have been proven, uh, that uh, it's surprising, really, that he's continued in the role that he has. Mm-hmm. And another uh, cardinal who's uh, also quite well known now for some controversy, in fact he's uh, on trial at the moment, is uh, Cardinal Angelo Becci. Now, I say Cardinal Angelo Becci because there seems to be a great deal of confusion as to whether or not he is still a member of the College of Cardinals. Yes, uh, he is. Um, I don't. I think he's had certain uh, privileges stripped from him, um, but he is a, still a cardinal, and, so, uh, and the Pope has actually... Uh, 
allowed him to attend events and so forth. So he's sort of semi rehabilitated him. Um, and uh, but yes, it's, that's, this trial is continuing. His his alleged role in the the London property scandal, which lost the Vatican, uh, I think, 150 million euros. And so he's he's um, on trial at the moment, and that's going forward. Um, and he's recently uh, released a, a taped conversation between him and the Pope uh, about uh, part of this scandal, um, which uh, I think is is quite revealing in terms of how he deals with the Pope and how he has dealt with the Pope. And in a sense, it was only from last year, I believe, last uh, soon after the Pope's operation, and that he he very much seems to call the shots with the Pope and tells him what to do and and so forth. Uh, he wanted to to prove that he wasn't involved in uh, in uh, that he brother that the Pope gave him permission to uh, give a ransom to free a, a kidnapped nun. Um, the allegation was that that money went uh, elsewhere, um, and he wanted a, wanted the Pope to to prove that he did give give the command to to give that money. Um, and that there was no wrongdoing, uh, but it was very much him telling the Pope what to do and the Pope going along with it, and um, that's made some people quite suspicious. Right, and then there's the increasingly fascinating side story connected to this, uh, relating to several women who were also caught up in this trial. Yes, there's uh, Francesca Chalki, who's a uh, who was caught up in the VatiLeaks two uh, scandal? She was um, she was found uh, guilty uh, there of, of leaking documents, and um, and a close friend of of Monsieur Palasca, who's a key figure in this trial too. Um, she is a, a, a close friend of his, uh, and both of them uh, seem to have knowledge, quite a lot of knowledge about what went on, um, and they're going to be. Face, they're going to be in the dock uh, early next next year, apparently. So, well, I think that'll be quite explosive. I think they're going to give some information which uh, which could be interesting and uh, give shed more light on this trial, which is full of intrigue and murkiness um, and doesn't really get much clearer as time goes on. But in fact, it gets more murky. But <laughs> not to mention uh, the sort of spycraft bugging that that seemed to be taking place too. Is that right? Yes, I mean, there's plenty of bugging involved in this whole. This whole business, and uh, in fact, uh, we we heard at the trial last week that um, Monsignor Palaska and Cardinal Betu went for for lunch at a restaurant just around the corner from me, and were bugged by the by the Vatican police on Italian soil, and uh, that's quite something. Uh, that's, that's quite interesting. I think that the fact that all of this bugging goes on is is also uh, symptomatic of of not too many good things going on in the Vatican finances in the last few years. And that, that, that's been quite common for the past few years, in fact, that sort of tracking people and, and listening to their conversations, unfortunately. That seems to have been part of, of Vatican life for quite some time. Well, it does kind of beg the question, and this is a, my last question for you on this topic, is where are we exactly briefly in what was all of this supposed to be part of, and that is the reform of Vatican finances. Yes, I mean, I think certain elements of Vatican finances have been reformed successfully, and I think part of one part of that is the Vatican Bank, the the EOR, as it's called. I think that has um, that's been quite successful, but elsewhere, I think there's still questions remain, and uh, 
we 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 heard last week that the prefect of the secretary for the economy has has resigned. Um, he's only been there, I think, for three or four years. Uh, he um, he uh, was resigned because of ill health, but uh, but we don't know quite what the full reasons are. Um, and he's been replaced by a layman. Now we'll just have to see if that actually means that there's going to be continued reform, or if this points to again a sort of stalling of the reform process and the old guard, as it said, as they say, uh, reasserting their position. Um, at the moment, it's it's too early to say, but I think certainly there's been some success in the reform. And um, but as as it's often said here, what's really needed is a complete change of personnel. And until that happens, uh, the, the same old uh, corruptions will continue, I think. Yeah. Well, there's a lot on Pope Francis's plate uh, as he heads into the Christmas liturgies. Uh, you were telling me that uh, the, the Pope's schedule is uh, pretty much as it always is, isn't it? Yes, there's not a lot to change. Um, I don't think there's anything changed from, from previous years. Um, but again, the Pope is going to celebrate Midnight Mass very early at uh, 7.30 uh, in the evening, um, in the basilica and as again there'll be no no mass during the day and during john paul's time there would be uh, you know late midnight mass and and mass in the morning in st peter's square but that's um that's changed but uh, but yeah otherwise it's uh, it's very much as as normal yeah well and edward i know that you are covering and will continue to cover all of these stories so thank you for uh, your diligence and your fortitude in what is a very difficult beat Sure, my pleasure. Thanks, Matthew. Well, Edward Penton with the National Catholic Register. That's it this week for Register Radio. Thank you so much for joining me, and let's all keep Pope Francis in our prayers as he heads into this very busy time of year. Remember, for more news, analysis, and commentary, check out the National Catholic Register online at ncregister.com. Thanks so much for joining me. For Jeanette DeMello and our producer, Jeff Burson, I'm Matthew Bunsen. Until next week, take care. And God bless. For more information about the National Catholic Register and about Register Radio, go to ncregister.com. Podcasts of Register Radio are posted on ncregister.com and on ewtn.com. Join us next week at this time for Register Radio on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Bishop James Conley talks about the National Catholic Register. I've been reading the Register for over 40 years, and I can tell people with absolute conviction that it's the best periodical out there. They're honest, they're true, and they give a great perspective. It's important to be able to have a news source like the National Catholic Register where we can go to and make sense and decipher what's going on around us. It also engages the imagination. If you really want to be an informed Catholic, you got to read the National Catholic Register. To get six free issues, order online at ncregister.com forward slash radio or call 800-421-3230 and mention code radio. That's ncregister.com forward slash radio or 800-421-3230 and mention code radio. While you're waiting on your first issue, be sure to enjoy our content online. The National Catholic Register. Read faithfully.